Welcome to the Grown Pains Podcast, where we are helping millennials get out of adult adolescence one candid conversation at a time. I am your host, Smokey Musau, joined by the ever-illustrious Mo Willa, don't get more real than her, and Harrington. Today, we have our very, 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 very special friend and guest, Denisha Radley. Girl, where you come from? Well, first off, thank you both for having me. Um, I'm originally from North Carolina, but right now I am stationed in uh, Massachusetts, in the beautiful state of Massachusetts. And what you doing out there? That's so, so I'm sorry, I don't need to be. It's okay. okay no, right, you're, ahead, you're totally fine. So currently I work at a local college here, uh, Babson College, and I oversee the religious and spiritual life department there. So I work with students. I have a team of chaplains. I guess you could say I'm living my best life, you know? So that's what I'm doing right now in this moment. Man, I was talking <laughs> earlier. I feel like... <clears throat> At this stage in 2020, <clears throat> living your best life is, I mean, as long as you're not dead. You're living. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so Absolutely. Just Perspective, wake right? <laughs> wake up and be respirating and you're good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, before we get into it, Anne, uh, let's, let's, let's talk about, about dogs. <clears throat> I, uh, I was petting a dog um, the other day and... You know what? I didn't even know what what breed of dog it was. It was I was I was in a neighborhood, walking through a neighborhood, and there was somebody's dog, and it came up. It was coming up to me, and I was like, "Man, I'm in this white neighborhood. I don't know what's gonna happen." But I, it's, it had been so long since I interacted with the dog. I was like, "You don't come here." And then I petted it. It was this big dog too, so I was scared that it was gonna bite me or or whatever. But I was like, "You know what?" Sometimes in life, you just got to take risks. So I got one. I met I, I met one dog um, in the last three weeks. It's bad. Mm-hmm. But last time we were talking about owners, right? There was no owner. So I didn't have to feel any sense of like yeah. self-conscious that I'm, you know, being disrespectful to the owner by not acknowledging them. So I was like, you know what? Forget them. I just need the dog. Mm. So I got, <laughs> got your three-week fix. Yeah. I, uh, we had a string of really warm days up here, like 75 plus. And on one of those days I went to the beach and just sat at the beach and saw this dog that I, from a distance, um, like, I don't know, like 50 feet away or something looked like he was half old English bulldog, half pit bull. So it's like, basically we took an old English bulldog and stretched him out a little (laughs) <laughs> made him a little taller a little longer um and I really wanted to pet him but his owner was walking the opposite direction of me and I wasn't going to be creepy and jog to catch up or anything like that <laughs> you just don't ever know but never I enjoyed know. I enjoyed the scenery anyway so man Tanisha do you like dogs you don't Define like <laughs> you ain't gonna kill it <laughs> oh I'm not gonna kill it yeah. When I see it. Okay. When right. I see it, yeah, I like dogs. Okay. All right. That's if that's your definition do of you, life. Do you want to pet them when you see them, or talk to them? You know, I only talk to them if their owner is very in, uh, 
because sometimes you can read honors where they want you to engage with their dog. It's true. And I fall into that trap and I'll just say, Hey, little doggy while I'm moving the opposite way. <laughs> so, you know, but interestingly enough, uh, quarantine, I have this itch of wanting a dog, even though I've never held a dog before. Um, and thank God my apartment complex does not allow pets. So I'm okay. Now you just got, I don't know, man, we're, I think we're all old enough. Y'all seen Ace Ventura, the Jim Carrey movie? Yes. Pet Detective, you go ahead and do the Pet Detective thing. <laughs> no, go ahead and get, that, get them birds <laughs> resting on your arm. I'm okay. I'm okay. I think dogs are cute, though. I mean, certain ones, but I'm not a dog fan, but I will I will make sure they're safe. Okay. Okay, that's, that's good. That's how I feel about kids. Yeah. <laughs> make sure they're safe. I love it. I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As a former preschool teacher, I'm getting on the other end of the spectrum, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Did I ever tell y'all that I worked at a at a daycare when I was uh, twenty? I think I was like nineteen or twenty. I worked at a daycare. I needed the money. Okay. And a friend of mine was the manager, and I was like, I don't even like this. <laughs> I remember one time I, this kid was like, I don't even. I yelled at this kid, and that's when I knew that I mm-hmm. quit. So, so I quit the next day. Good for you. <laughs> It takes courage to realize that, like, no. Yeah. So, <clears throat> time to get into the nitty gritty. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been talking about wisdom and how to get it, where it comes from, why we can't get it, why it's so hard to get into it, and this, and then the idea of adult adolescence is really like this kind of kicking the the can of maturity down the road, right? Where he's like, I'll grow up tomorrow. I'll grow up tomorrow. The proverbial 40-year-old living in their mom's or parent's basement uh, or parent's house <clears throat> complaining that they can't get a job, but they play video games all day, mm-hmm. right? It's like you're 40. You know, you, what's this, this dissonance between the life you're living, the life that you are creating, and the circumstances that you are complaining about, right? <clears throat> and we've been, and we've been through it all. And uh, you've been through it all. And hearing me ramble, rant, trying to figure things out. But I think one of the things that I've really enjoyed about this uh, this journey is that. I think just the 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 idea of try of trying to figure it out is also part of what it means to, you know, like the, the like the scripture says, you know, gain wisdom is that it's something that you're always trying for, right? It's, it's yeah. a pursuit. Sometimes, and the pursuit isn't always pretty, but you know, in hindsight, is when you really, you know, you learn the the lessons or or wherever you have. So, and help me help us. Where are we today? <laughs> I think that I definitely feel the prolonged adolescence of being a millennial. Mm-hmm. Largely, I mean, largely 
the funny thing is I feel like I've done a good amount of the things that by millennial standards make me an adult, but there's still that sense of like, mm. it's, it's, I, I'm missing something. And I don't know if sometimes I think that's, you know, it's like culturally impl- imposed, like, you know, you're an adult when you're married with kids and have a house mm-hmm. and right. you know, I'm over three there. So, <laughs> like, um, and I'm okay with that. So there's, uh, there's a little bit of like, um, yeah, just this feeling of like not having arrived. And, uh, I think what I've, what I've been digging into more deeply as we've been talking is, um, is recognizing how, um, we've, we've talked about this wisdom equation, which is the knowledge plus experience plus reflection and um that those three those three things are necessary for wisdom to gain wisdom um and recognizing how at different points in my life and even now I'm like lopsided in that equation like not necessarily like completely lacking in any of them but just yeah just recognizing that even at different points in life Mm -hmm. um you're going to it's uh I'm going to be um kind of like ebbing and flowing in in all three of those and it's not ever going to be quite a perfect balance which is why we always have to pursue it like wisdom is always a pursuit it's never something we arrive at right you know and at every every stage of life there's a different kind of wisdom required so um, right yeah just been some of the stuff i've been mulling over right right and denicia you know when we spoke last week one thing you you brought up when I was just sharing about what we're, what we've been talking about is one thing you brought up that was really fascinating was this even idea that when you think about adolescence, it's not one like blanket phenomenon, but there are different, I don't know if it's layers or aspects, but you, you said that it's, it's more dynamic. What did you mean by that? And then like, maybe we could start there and then we can work, work in the, the, the millennial piece you know, once, once we get something, something mm-hmm. in the books. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And thank you both for sharing um, your reflections. Uh, so much to unpack there. Um, but I think what I meant the last time we talked was that, um, well, I'll give this example. My brother and I grew up in the same house, right? We're totally different, totally different. We came out the same womb, uh, same parents, probably the same parenting style uh, to a certain degree, because um, <laughs> we're still uh, parent parented by or was parented by traditional parents. Uh, so, and when I say traditional, what I mean was more of a conservative bend, but still liberal enough to allow us to explore our own personalities. If I can flesh it out a little bit. Um, so, my brother, of course, personality plays into this, but we're just talking about adolescence. Um, We grew up different. Even though we were in the same house, we approach adolescence different. Um, And I think that when you're thinking about, and it's so funny, I have a degree in human development um, and family studies concentrating on adolescence. I didn't think about that until you said it. I was like, oh my God, I have a degree in this. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny, right? (laughs) That is the millennial thing. That's the whole poetry degree, right? It's like, oh, I have a degree. 
Oh, who knew? Who knew I would be talking about this? So when you think about development, and then there's, I remember the Erickson, uh, you know, there's, I think it's the nine stages or eight stages of development of life and all the, con- you know, the concepts and theories. But I think that, you know, the dynamics I, w- I believe I was talking about is, um, life, right? Like life happens at adolescence, um, and people react to it different ways. Um, so I think that you have to take into consideration personality, um, parenting styles, location, race, gender, sexuality, um, socioeconomics, all those things impact adolescence, um, nature versus nurture, um, things that you are innate or born with. Um, so, cause I've always been fascinated, especially from a Christian perspective, when people are saying, you know, and to your point, um, as a single person, you should have traveled or you should be doing this and blah, 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 before you get married, you know, and we get on this whole soapbox of telling people what they should have accomplished without really knowing their experience. Right. So now you're giving me knowledge or you're giving me uh, a play by book, but you don't know how I've been nurtured or natured, um, to get to this point. When we're thinking about adolescence, you have to take all those things into account. But when we're also thinking about adult adolescence, like I think there's an emotional capacity that needs to probably be examined more. Um, as opposed to what I'm doing, I think there's more of an emotional um, lens that we could look out, right. if that makes sense. It does. It does. And uh, man, um, so a couple of things you, 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 you talk about, a couple of things that come to mind when you are talking is I, I wonder, especially when you talk about, you know, being, I'm single and, and all mm-hmm. these sorts of things, right. Um, you know, it seems like it's almost like makes sense that there's this like adolescent kind of um stage it is adolescent feel to the like that characterizes the millennial generation because it's like we're all living in this time in history where a lot of the traditional um like always believed always lived into norms and uh paradigms are being we're finding out hey look there's different ways to do this mm-hmm. right and and in, in light of that, um, we're at, like literally trying to figure out what exactly is I what is I, what, what does that even mean, right? Like so, so you know, um, the like being single, like into your thirties, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or forties, yeah. Like, or forties, like you know, mm-hmm. like that's okay. Okay, well, what does that look like? Well, I, I don't know. So we're figuring that out. Um, living with like living with your parents past the age of 18 is okay. So what does that look like? I don't know. We're still trying to figure it out. So there's this, like the, the idea of adolescence actually, now that I think about it makes sense because we're all trying to figure out. I mean, I mean, it's real. I mean, even me, right. With this, I don't know. What's the correct term here? Interracial mixed marriage, mm-hmm. or, I don't know, whatever, Sounds right. whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. Even that is like this, it's, it's been legal forever. Right. So it's not like a big, it's not like, monumental but of like diversity multiculturalism multi-ethnicism multi-ethnicism ethnicity i don't know like all of that like the idea that these are like prevalent is Mm -hmm. so we're still so like even that is trying to figure out how Mm -hmm. how do we um like live this out and 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 actually 
be consistent in, in how we live live this out too. So we're we're in the midst of creating new paradigms and new, uh, almost like new norms. Mm-hmm. So we are in fact figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, and and another thing that comes to mind is a lot of this idea of norms and whatever is these are like this is like the stuff that like you know philosophers do is like you figure out like you know structuralism, post structuralism, post mm-hmm. post whatever, right? It's all something that's worked out in schools by professors and smart people, and then culture ca- uh, catches on what's fascinating here though is that culture is is moving at the same time that uh the the, the smart people and uh, the not like people in school and not smart but the people mm-hmm. writing all the books and with the degrees and all so on and so forth we're all like moving together and so we're like almost like working it out even philosophically together mm-hmm. it's, it's a mess but that's how mm-hmm. that's how thinking goes right it's it's mm-hmm. and then it gets clear right mm-hmm. um so those are just a couple of things come to mind. And what am I missing? Help, help, help me make sense of what I just said. Um, I think, no, I think you did a pretty good job, honestly. I think, like, I think that we've talked about this before and, and you touched on it just now, just that we are at a, we're at many crossroads culturally. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you're saying, the old paradigms don't necessarily work anymore. Um and I think the tension that a lot of us are experiencing, particularly if we're kind of embedded in communities with any kind of, you know, um, historical ties or, you know, like conservative Christianity, for example, mm-hmm. or, you know, like me gr- coming from a rural part of the U.S., you know, it's like kind of more, um, more tied to old paradigms. Mm-hmm. Like how do you, the messy part is sorting through how do you how do you decide what to keep how do you decide what to alter a little bit how do you decide um how do you decide to like live with the people that don't respect what you choose to keep (laughs) and and don't get it you know don't respect what you choose to get rid of and don't get it you know so uh yeah denise said it too it's a dynamic thing if i could add on because you guys are saying some good stuff in my mind my uh synapses are like Um, you know, one of the things I, I found myself asked, I I found myself asking myself, um, is a lot of questions. So for example, when it comes to adolescence, one of my questions would be to me is who defines adolescence Mm -hmm. and who gets to say what it looks like and what it is, who gets to say what my adolescence experience should be. And if we understand history, we know that those who have don't look like me or may not have had my experiences, right? right? So then, for example, what, this is 2020, I was about to say, what year is this? Oh, listen. <laughs> What's um, this? <laughs> right? it's, it's it's the third year of 2020. <laughs> right? It's 2020 times two. Um, so one of the questions I asked myself at the beginning of this year was, when did you become a woman? Um, And I am still trying to answer that. Well, I think I've found the answer because I I think piggybacking off what you both said, a little more what Anne said about, um, you know, being single is that how do you define these things? Because it's so, it's so multi-layered. And I was perceiving myself still as a young lady or as a young girl, 
when I have actually transitioned into womanhood without acknowledging that. Mm-hmm. And so what I've been doing uh, this year is really acknowledging my womanhood, right? So uh, what that may look like is, um, and I don't want to go into too much details, but like, because I had to unlearn a lot of my um, beliefs when it comes to cooking and cleaning, because I felt that if I were to enjoy cooking and cleaning, that means that I'm traditional, which also means that I'm only doing this so I can get a husband, right? I don't have to enjoy these things because I like cooking and cleaning. Cooking and cleaning has a gender role uh, connotation to it, right? So I had to unlearn that. I had to unpack all those lies and be like, girl, you like cooking because you like food, boo. You look because you like to eat. So... What it looks like for me to say that I'm a woman is how I approach life, right? How do I engage with people? Um, how do I engage with myself? Um, and, it, and even embracing my femininity, right? So bringing all those things up. Um, now, I do have moments where I am emotionally an adolescent and how I define that or what that looks like is that I may have temper tantrums, right? Or I may have moments of stalling or moments where I just want to, I mean, there's days where I'm like, I just want to sit in my mom's lap and just cuddle with her if I'm honest, you know? And of course it's the pandemic, you know, gosh darn it. But um, I think there's like this, this is how I look at it. Sometimes you go through those cycles where it's almost like a child where you're giddy and you're excited, you make a lot of mistakes. Then there's the adolescent stage where you go through a rebellious stage where it's like, look, I'm going to cut my hair because I want to cut my hair because I can do that. Okay. And then you finally arrive to the woman stage and you're like, you know what? I like my hair this way, but how about we accessorize or how about, you know, we make better decisions um, and think through them without them being impulsive. Um, Hmm. So yeah, as you guys were talking, I'm thinking about that as my experience But it's also like this learning and this unlearning thing that we have to go through, especially when we're talking about paradigms, you know, like what do we get to keep? What do we get to throw away? Um, So, yeah, that's what I'm I was thinking about. Hmm. I mean, so you and you you, when you talk about when did you become a woman and Mm -hmm. the question about, you know, trying to understand the moment that you Mm -hmm. you moved from one stage of life to the next stage. And when did we talk about that? I can't remember if it was like three, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. But this idea that like one of the things that we miss in in life, mm-hmm. um, in our what we miss in the like course of our lives, mm-hmm. are these like initiation periods or sorry initiation yeah. no, no, no. or rituals almost rituals yeah rituals, uh-huh. that's right rituals initiations like two right? weeks like, ago we, yeah we don't mm-hmm. we don't have that so like let's say okay um, and I mentioned like for me uh, the the two very big ones I, I have in my life in terms of where I moved from one uh, like identity or stage in life to another mm-hmm. was, you know, when I became a Christian and then when I became a U.S. citizen, right? Mm-hmm. Like a, in the sense that these are times when there are like ceremonies that you have mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, are, you know, in between the moment that you, from, from who you were and then there's who you who you are going to be and then there's like a ceremony where you actually like go through it right it's like a rite of passage right mm-hmm. and so we don't like for so for example you know and I, obviously I'm, I'm not a woman so I don't know but in the sense of like you're um, a, um, a girl a young lady mm-hmm. a woman like there's 
So where 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 is that um, rite of passage that you go through from one stage to the next? And it's it seems like that's what you were realizing that you didn't have. Mm-hmm. So so you didn't even know that mm-hmm. you were already there. And that is the strange. That is one of the like that seems to be one of the strangest phenomena. You're already the person that you're waiting to be. Mm-hmm. That just seems like a very mm-hmm. tiring existence. And I'm not saying that about you specifically. I'm no, I get it. About, yeah. about, the, about the phenomenon. Like, mm-hmm. man, when, when am I ever going to grow up? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When am I ever going to mm-hmm. grow up? But, you, mm-hmm. but you, you're doing, you, you're already there. Yeah. Right? Perspective. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's like, we, we don't have these rites of, of, of mm-hmm. passage where it's like our identities are just like floating from mm-hmm. one from one to the other to with, with no like very seamless which is friction usually is what is that that's the stuff that grabs your attention is when there's either friction or tension that's when you're like oh something you know yeah. and we don't have very much friction or tension in mm-hmm. how we mm-hmm. in the lives that we live and mm-hmm. so we don't we we don't even we don't think about the lives we live because there's nothing to like jolt us to mm-hmm. To think about it, and mm-hmm. and I mean, one thing I, I should say is like, I think when I when I talked about the norms, traditional norms, and everything like that, I I still feel the the, the sense to say that even ain't ain't nothing wrong with being traditional, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. look, mm-hmm. I think we all have bits and pieces of all of all of that in, mm-hmm. in how we do it. Just maybe sometimes there's more one than than the other, but I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's it's life, and and there's a lot of people who are living like that and i mean i got friends who you know they got married when they were 20 got seven kids and you know when they're 35 and they're just working work and work and yeah it's good for them that's for them yeah right you know and and that's part of it that's that's life i feel like um uh i feel like one of the things about one of the marks of maturity is is being able to make better quality decisions Mm -hmm. about like not just little things but like big things mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. um like you know and i remember this is not related to that but i remember one time i was uh 16 mm-hmm. and uh i went to this um i went to christian uh youth youth thing youth i don't know i can't remember what it was called but it was like a week-long thing in kansas city and uh, I mean, it was like, it was, it was intense. It was heavy. Right. And <laughs> I remember I called my dad and he, you know, I was just asking how I was doing and how it was going. I was like, man, it's awesome. This thing, I'm learning so much, you know, like I'm learning, I'm learning so much. Da, 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 da. And I said to him, Hey dad, you know, like, you know, like, you know, if you think about it, like I'm over here trying to tell him what, what to believe. I say, uh-huh. if, you, if you think about it, you know, uh, you know, in Genesis, you know, it says we're all made in the same, or we're, we're all made in God's image. And, you know, if, if we're all made in God's image, then why do we all look different? And uh, <laughs> and I remember, <laughs> like on the other line, he was like, "Yeah, that's um, yeah, you, make a, that's a good point, but but uh, you know, I, I think it's a it's a little more complicated than that." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but I really felt like I had stumbled upon mm-hmm. this 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 revelation that was. Like, you know, somebody needed to know. Mm-hmm. But then I talked to my dad. He's like, 
okay, son, like you, you, you go and you be careful now. <laughs> like, don't, don't. <laughs> Look most times you, right across the street. What do you think was going through his mind? Like, just, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's useful. Well, but part of that, like, you know, I appreciate the fact that he didn't like, tell me you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, I, was, I was just, I was excited about learning new things. And to him, I was taking a chance, learning something new and I was showing like initiative. Right. So I think that's what it, cause it, and I, I talked to him a few years after that and he was telling, talking and he was talking about how he raised us and like what he and my mom were thinking about. And they always wanted us to have, um, they always wanted to give us room to try things mm-hmm. so that, and in their words, like we wanted to give you guys opportunities so that when you get grew older, you wouldn't have any regrets. Mm-hmm. So when I was doing all that was stuff, you know, having all these, you know, third grade revelations from, from, you know, the mountain of, you know, Mount Sinai, my dad was like, man, you go ahead and you just keep, you keep learning, you keep mm-hmm. being excited. So th- I think that's what he was getting at. And I think that, you know, that to me, that's like, when I think about adolescence, that's what I think about. Like this, my quality of decision-making was, was good, right? But it was like, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that's what I mean is is when I think about Denise, you were talking about emotional adolescence, it's like sometimes it's like that, where it's like mm-hmm. that feeling that, you know, it's it's more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're missing is we don't get into the complicatedness and realize, you know what, it's okay sometimes we wanna be sitting at, sitting with your mama. It's okay sometimes yeah. to be rebellious. It's okay sometimes to be, you know. Um, like super excited and want to change the world and you know whatever like all that is is fine and the complicatedness is 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 what's needed but it's like when we're in one and then we move to the next and the next is when we're like oh man something's wrong there's a problem I'm not I'm a bad person and blah 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 blah. Yeah. Can I can I ask you guys a question? But I mean, this is to both of you because Denisia asked it. Mm-hmm. She's been asking it of herself. But mm-hmm. for both of you, like Moki, when do you think? When you look back at your life, and obviously, like you were saying, it's like little transitions, but when is kind of a moment that you recognize you were becoming a man or had kind of become a man? And Denisia, when did you, looking back, recognize like, oh, I became a, I became a woman, or at this point in my life, I was starting to behave as a woman and not a girl? Um, you know, Anne, that's a good question. Um, I... I would say it's really hard. Okay. So, because I'm all about, how do you define it? Who define, you know, so Mm -hmm. for me, Mm -hmm. womanhood can look different than it does for you. Right. um, Than it does for, um, you know, Moki's wife, Jenny, it can look totally different. Right. So I think for me, the moment I realized I became a woman was this year. Now how I was operating I would say maybe 2012. I think my transition into seminary, when I think about, because um, when I think about womanhood, I think about this, um, and, and of course is in relation to God, of how maybe even a little before seminary, of this essence of capturing myself in authenticity, right? So it's, it's like more like a journey and a path to being my authentic self and expressing that, um, with my femininity, um, with my, um, being in tune with my emotion, uh, being in tune with my, um, my, uh, my mental capacity, 
all those things. Um, and, and many of those things have not even reached their climax or their, their high point yet, but I'm still on that path of journey. I think it's an, 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 um, an evolution, like an evolving into womanhood. Right. Um, I heard this, uh, poet say one time after his show, he said, I'm a practicing black man. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of adopted that language as I'm a practicing black woman, right? Mm-hmm. It's just this idea of um, every day I get up, I have to practice this thing. You know, they used to say practice makes perfect, right? Um, and I also think it's perspective because this epiphany of transitioning into womanhood came when I started asking myself questions as it pertains to the opposite sex, whereas it it pertains to me making decisions. Um, and I think, um, it was kind of like what Moki said about those tensions that sometimes people, uh, may have or don't have that. I had the opportunity to be like, wait, there's something here that's rubbing me the wrong way. I need to figure out what's all this about. Like, why am I, you know, and it just felt, it felt natural because it had been something that I've been operating in for so long but it didn't make sense because I was evolving. And so I'm just like this, I need to deal with this, whatever this is, I need to deal with it. So that's when I realized, wait a minute, I don't even know when I became a woman. Like when did I start operating and operating as a woman? Um, but also am I holding myself back from evolving more Mm. into that goodness? Right. Um, am I still trying to hold on to, girl things or girl perspectives or young lady perspectives. Mm -hmm. And what am I afraid of on this side of my life? Mm. Right. And a lot of it too, not a lot, but maybe 45% of it did have to do with being single. Right. Um, And did have to do with uh, not having children because our culture set those marker markers for women as now you arrived, honey, forget heaven. (laughs) Forget Jesus, okay? Forget your purpose in life. You a ba- you somebody baby mama now, okay? You somebody's wife. So, you know, when that doesn't happen, what do you have then? Or even women who are married and, you know, this is not what this whole conversation is about, but, you know, I had to start asking myself some honest questions and I had to be honest and be like, I can't let this define me. I'm already a woman. I'm already making these decisions. and actually like me hmm. so I think that's mm-hmm. when so it's more of evolving I'm still becoming um yeah which is I mean I feel like this is kind of almost the theme of everything that you've shared so far is that it's dynamic mm-hmm. but there's there's kind of some principles I guess you could say mm-hmm. like you know things that you're learning but the, even those things are meant to be, as you said, practiced. They're not just like, oh, I've got this figured out now and move on to the next thing. It's like, it's a tool mm-hmm. to practice being a black woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at 45, it may change again. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's one thing that we as millennials, that we might understand better than any other generation that, mm-hmm. you know, you know, we were the computer age. Um, we've, you know, now we're the information age. We've We've been through a lot of different monumental things in the world. Um, and we've learned how to shift, but even in shifting, sometimes you just get complacent and mm-hmm. you don't shift yourself. You, you might shift with the culture, 
but you don't evolve yourself. So yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And what about you, Moak? For me, I got, um, I mean, it was, uh, it was at the end of my, uh, seminary, uh, time. And, uh, what happened was I remember, um, and y'all probably gonna remember this too, but I was, I, you know, I had this one girl and, uh, you know, um, anyways, it's ancient history, but I remember the time I was like, man, I wanted to like, I think we were on track to, you know, get engaged and all that other stuff. And, um, Tisha, you, did she, man, yes. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> see, I'm saying, see, it was a, it was a bad it was a bad decision. Is what I'm trying to say. However, okay, however, for me, I was like, I was living, I was trying to live into that. I was like, I needed to get this mm. um, relationship uh, so that I could, I could just get it. Like that was the criteria, right? Like, yeah, that's what I needed. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I could do that. Yeah. Um, and uh, it didn't work out. And for me, what happened was this idea of like when I become a man and that kind of thing is when I started like making moves to um, live by my values, like that were like affecting like the direction of my life. That's when it was. So, you know, um, being on the uh, the you know the Black Student Association, and not just not only in terms of like. <clears throat> the the community that I was serving, but why did I do that in the first place? Getting into a position of leadership so that I could influence some kind of change in a way that I thought was meaningful and would not only impact like you know my life and my friends' lives, but I think the lives of many people moving forward. Mm-hmm. And so uh and then also just doing things my way in the sense that like Denise, you said it so right. Like I like me, mm-hmm. and I was like, you know what? I am who I. You, I don't know if you remember these. You know, I started wearing the, the the snapbacks and the. I was started looking all <laughs> tough and everything. And but that's because I remember I was like, man, why, I'm over here. Like why? Like why am I wearing? Like why am I tucking my shirt in? I don't even, I don't <laughs> you even wear like, a suit like, almost every week. I don't even like uh-huh. them. You remember those right. suits, those button-ups? I mean, they look nice. Moki, Moki was the king of the gingham shirt for like yes. a solid year. <laughs> I'm telling you. I was like, I was like, I don't even like this. And then I started doing, I just started being myself. And and again, you know, it's not like I was I was living my truth and then like as opposed to everybody else, but I was just myself. And I presented, yeah. I presented uh, myself to the community. If you accept me, fine. If not, then I mean, that's not my problem. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the cool thing that happened is that's when, you know, I developed, I just, some of my closest friends come from that. I think it was like a six month span from like the time I had left at Conwell. So much happened at the time, but it was so intense because it was, it was authentic Moki approaching the world and, and, and not being apologetic about, about who I was. <laughs> and it's interesting to see you you uh talked about you know you 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 might get into you get into that but but there are times that you can forget or lose sight or complacent because you remember the the phone call we had last week that was my problem mm, it was like that's good. It was like i was because remember we were talking like man my, my brother asked me what's the biggest um what's the biggest stress in your life right now moki 
because I was like all down and da 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 da. Um, and and I was like, you know, it could be this, it could be that, but like the stress was that I was not being true to myself. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I'm moving in ways that mm-hmm. there's the values that I'm that I'm living by on a daily basis, and then they're like my actual values that I believe in, and they're not the same. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. And so even me realizing, like that was how I don't know, five, six years ago, seven years ago, mm-hmm. that even when you get in it, it's still a process. Mm-hmm. And and again, you need those. Like the, the conversation we had was a was a turning point for me because yeah. it was a it was a jolting like you know we're talking about like you need tension and friction to wake yes. you up right like mm-hmm. the it was actually it started from my brother's question mm-hmm. in your life and it, it was a it was a powerful question because I didn't know the like the answer immediately like I had to think really hard mm-hmm. and we had the conversation and that's when the the insight came so uh, that is is it for me is is when i was at at because at, I, I remember that is one of the very few turning points i, I remember mm-hmm. cause, especially because it had to do with clothing but then then here i am today with no hair <laughs> love it so denicia i cut my hair so right i like it <laughs> <laughs> and we're waiting for yeah, you I know, right? Just, just take your time man it's okay you take your time however long you need <laughs> Okay. Um, so the reason I asked you guys first is so that I would have time to think about it. <laughs> no, I think it's, it's a little bit episodic. Like there's like a couple, a couple pieces, I think moving across the country, significant for sure. Um, uh, but I also, I like being out of my comfort zone. So it's just like, it's kind of like, yeah, it's, um, and moving to a whole new place is uh, where I didn't really have any connections. That was, that was like a huge step for me of, okay, well, I have to, everything is on me now, you know, like I have to define myself and decide how I want to be, how I want to live, who I want to be. But I think actually, this is, this has been a process and um, it's kind of been going in fits and starts, but I think the one of the biggest things that stands out to me is um, embracing, well, maybe not embracing, but like accepting my anger. Mm. I think there's, um, because I think that I was just, you know, I think a lot of women are like this, but really raised to suppress and ignore and dismiss our anger um, over completely valid things. the irony though is that you end up because you don't deal with it you end up being consumed by it mm-hmm. because you're not you're not controlling it anymore mm-hmm. you're like if you if you don't acknowledge something you can't control it you can't process it you know right. so um there's and and i think particularly being a female who'd grown up in the church mm-hmm. and in very conservative churches for the most part there's just like kind of uh and in, even outside of being in a church, growing up in a conservative culture, um, there's kind of like some constant uh, dismissal of women and uh, and just disrespect towards women all the time that like is unacknowledged from them from men in general because fish don't know water's wet. 
<laughs> anyway, so <laughs> I'm I'm rambling a little bit, but I think that like in the past few years, I've just really started to rather than like try to suppress or numb out or ignore my anger to question it mm-hmm. and to ask myself like, okay, what am I actually angry about? And then how can I like sit with that? But then in turn and and not um, excuse people's behavior or actions or attitudes that that generate that response in me, um, but also still respond with grace and love. So um, yeah, it, that's been really significant because it's I'm not living by someone else's standard or expectation anymore. It's been it's been really freeing and 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 I feel more genuine love towards the men that piss me off than yeah. I ever have. And there's like genuine forgiveness too, when, mm. you know, like I'll, you know, get into an exchange with somebody um, about how they're disrespectful or they're wrong. Mm. And uh, it doesn't, it rolls off my back in a way that it would have just like haunted me before. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So that's been, that's been a big one. And I think it's, it's played out not only just in terms of like, the community that I'm a part of, but even just on interpersonal relationships in my family and, you know, with friends. And it's been, um, I think that that's, there's like that, there's a strength and a, and a grace in, in acknowledging anger, um, that to me feels very womanly. Good. I don't know how to explain it other than that, but yeah. Perfect. Yeah. That's a big one for me. That's really cool. I mean, Denise, you'd said in uh, your piece, and then even uh, as as Anne was was sharing there, um, you know, you said you know when if you were to you know thinking about yourself and and transitioning, moving to uh, and 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 embracing your 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 womanhood, not simply in the, in the qualitative sense, in in the sense <laughs> like you know this is what it means to be a woman, but also in terms of this is the stage of life that I'm in. Mm-hmm. The questions you would ask yourself was you know, what am I afraid of? Mm-hmm. Like if I, if I don't, if I'm no longer a, um, a, a, a girl or, or a young lady and I'm here, mm-hmm. what, what am I afraid of if, I, if I'm here? Mm-hmm. And um, we were talking uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, at some point in the last five weeks, we were talking about how one of the big motivators uh, in, in life is, is, is a fear of something mm-hmm. that one of the things you know, beneath the anger, beneath the uh-huh. the stalling, for me, beneath the, um, you know, the like assuming these values that are not, they're not in line with my actual values. All of that is like this. If is the the question is if I don't do this, uh-huh. something is going to happen uh-huh. that I am afraid of. And so, the question is, what if I continue in this way? Or if I, if I change, if I actually just live my, live, live out my values, what, what would happen then? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, if, if I wasn't afraid, what would happen? How would my life be any different? That's, I think the beginning of a turning point mm-hmm. is when you realize that, you know what, behind this is something that I'm afraid of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when George Floyd died, when he got killed, I remember I did this whole thing on uh on Facebook live about, you know, how black man thinks about race and that uh, whiteboard about, you know, <laughs> the phenomenon and, and everything like that. And I remember, uh, a lot of, 
and you know, it wasn't so much just like this is black people th- like how black people think. This is it, I made I I wanted it to be a um an expose about how does somebody respond to uh, a person who may have good intentions, but those intentions like trigger this mountain of uh, pain and like resentment and all these kind of things, right? So white folk will say, "Man, I just want to talk," but then I'm afraid, like every time I talk, you know, black people just say, "Like I'm, 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 uh, I'm ignorant or whatever," and so on, so on, so forth. I was trying to say, like, the reason that is, is because of this, right? Mm-hmm. And, and what happened was a lot of people who, folk who were white, black, not black, were like, man, this is so helpful. Like, I, this is exactly how I wanted it. Like, this is exactly what I think. Like, you know, and I even had family members that were like, wow, wow I didn't even know. Like, like that's, that explains how I'm feeling, and I didn't even know how to express it. Mm-hmm. Forget, not forget, but even though race is important, the reason why they like, like a lot of folk just don't do anything mm-hmm. is because they're afraid of like, if I, if I actually take this route mm-hmm. and make this change, like I might not be accepted, mm-hmm. right? Like I will no longer, I'll either, I won't be accepted by whether it's a black person or whomever. Family. Um, family. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if, if I come in, so there's like, the group that I'm trying to reach out to, I won't be accepted by them. And then the group that I'm in, they'll be like, oh, now you're mm-hmm. you're no longer one of us. So you yeah. end up being like isolated. Absolutely. A lot of people don't mm-hmm. do a lot in life mm-hmm. because they're just afraid that they'll be isolated. Mm-hmm. Like they won't be a part of any community and they'll be alone. And mm-hmm. everybody's afraid of being alone because we all know biologically, if there's a, there's the pack, when you're no longer in the pack, you're, there's, no, mm-hmm. there's, no any, there's no security anymore. Mm-hmm. So you need to belong to somebody or something. That's how you, you you remain safe. We're afraid that if you if you're not in a part of community, you're exposed. Mm-hmm. If you're part of the wrong community, mm-hmm. also will be exposed, mm-hmm. and you'll create more problems. So we're afraid of mm-hmm. either being isolated or being a, a a part of the wrong group or community. So again, so we just stay where we are. Mm-hmm. Right? This failure to launch, failure to grow, failure to mm-hmm. to, to mature. Is about is is a lot a good part of it comes from the fear that either we won't belong or we won't belong to the wrong group. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I'm done preaching. No, that's so true. I think that's um. I mean, that's a lot of what was holding me back from addressing mm-hmm. anger is the fear that if I actually like, if I actually talk about the things mm-hmm. that are problematic, suddenly like. I'm not, I'm going to have the disapproval of all the people whose approval I want, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I think that's why not needing that approval anymore has been such a turning point. I'm like, you know what? You can't, your approval doesn't touch me either way. Mm-hmm. And, um, so then I'm free to just like, to accept people as they are and including their limitations. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think even when we look at, the person living in their parents' house, like what are, what are they afraid of? Right. Sitting on the couch. Right. You know, mm-hmm. sitting right. on the couch, playing video games. What, what are you afraid of? You're afraid of, you're going to find out you're inadequate. You're afraid you're going to find mm-hmm. out that, you know, your $120,000 private school education isn't serving you or can't serve you. Uh, afraid of taking a risk and failing, mm-hmm. you know, right. Right. Which is such a long list. But I mean, 
I wonder though if to along with the fear of something it's also that we don't have the the right space to actually realize that you know what I actually do have this all wrong mm. like let's you know I'm trying to think you know the you know I don't know, like, think of a movie, a scene in a movie where someone's like, you know, doing this, man, I got it. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I'm doing. And then like, like, bro, you don't know what you're doing. Like, this is not going to end well for you. Uh, and they're like, man, I got it. I got it. I got it. And then do they do their thing. It's good for a while. But then they really realize, man, I messed up. And then they come back and they're like, you know, it's like, man, yo, I messed up. Right. There's a moment where you have to come back and seek like either redemption, forgiveness or whatever the case may be. And that's a very um, humiliating process, yeah. right? Where you like you have to put your pride all down to the side, and you have to seek like to be like reinstated into the community, or seek to to be to get standing back in in a community. There's a moment you that that's a place where it's really critical to be able to be exposed like that yeah. without being shamed. And that's maybe what that four-year-old doesn't have is like, they know it's deep down. They're like, you know what? I got this. Like I messed up, but there's nowhere to unleash or unload that safely. Mm. So they just have to keep, you just have to keep doing what you're doing. So because we don't have like, we don't have very many spaces where we can be real vulnerable, vulnerable, vulnerable. That's right. Vulnerable in like, in the, in the, not in the like the sentimental sense, but in the actual sense, like yo, I've I effed up. Authentic, yeah. I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? Yeah. Can 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 I be redeemed? Is there any hope for me to be able to come in that posture mm-hmm. and to and and to come out of that posture with the help of of the community? We don't have a lot of spaces for that. Let me flesh out what you're saying so I can make sure I'm understanding. Right. Because even I don't know what I'm saying. So go ahead. No, you do know what you're saying. <laughs> no, you stop. Uh, what I'm hearing is like, um, because we're talking about entering and exiting a community um, from the standpoint of like, first we were saying like fear, right? This idea of being isolated um, and pertaining to like, we, I think we used the example like racism. Um and I do get the fear piece if, um, you know, we want, if we want to generalize and say, okay, maybe if, if it's not racism is mm-hmm. I am fearful yeah. and I'll use me as an example. I'm fearful. I was fearful of going on the other side of a womanhood mm-hmm. because I felt like I couldn't be my childlike self. Mm-hmm. I felt like I had to put away certain attributes of my personality um, and not accept them like Anne said, right? So when once I learned that I don't have to fear losing myself, there's a, there was a lot of, even as it pertains to church, I remember when people used to call me minister or pastor, I would literally cuss them out because I hated that <laughs> term. I hated minister. I hated pastor because of my perception of that. And I felt like I would have to become something that I'm not. Um, ex- instead of accepting all that I am, right? 
and seeing how that evolved. So there was this fear of one, not being my authentic self, a fear of settling. That's a fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you guys have taken the Enneagram and I am a two and a seven. So the two in me want to make sure that I'm pleasing people and I want to make sure everyone's happy and that you love me and that I'm able to help you. And then the seven in me is like, I'm just going to do this. I'm all over the place. Like, what did you say yesterday? Like, you remember last year we went this way? Blah, 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 blah. Um, but I'm never satisfied. I'm always wanting more. I'm always looking for the next best thing. So I think there was the fear of not being loved, not being accepted, and then the fear of not ever having enough and not settling, right? So which made me susceptible to expectations, right? So now whatever you expect of me, I want to conform to. Um, So what I'm hearing about community, because especially for those of us who might've experienced church hurt. Now, let me just flush this out real quick. I used to believe that there was no such thing (laughs) until I experienced it myself. Um, And then I, and I think there's this thing, I don't know if God does this with you all, but I'll say something like, I'll be judgmental instead of being curious. Right. Mm. And then a few years later, I'll find myself in the exact same spot. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like mental health. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Right. This is a great point. Right. I used to be, I, I think I, I took mental health serious to the point where I'm like, oh yeah, just, you know, yeah, if you need a therapist, I don't need one. You know, or saying <laughs> right. something like, oh yeah, of course you have depression. Girl, let's go pray. We ain't got time right. for that. Let's go worship. Let's go worship. <laughs> so damaging and so abusive. And I, I cringe at the fact that I used to have those thoughts and beliefs even though they did not, I didn't express them. But let me tell you what uh, Covita did, honey. This is the COVID. Let me tell you what Covita did. Covita taught me (laughs) that mental health is one of the most important things that God has provided us to have a sound mind. You know what I'm saying? And now, you know, to have a sound mind. And I think about moments in April and May when I had to sleep in my closet because I was so afraid. Wow. I had to, I think one night I just couldn't sleep. So I just remember rocking in my closet, just rocking. Literally afraid for my life, not being able to operate, getting up the next morning, not being able to shower, to brush my teeth. Um, Just, but when people called me, I was chipper. There you go. People FaceTime me, I was smiling, you know, and just having this feeling of I could die any day now. Mm. I need to just make it to June. If I make it to June, I'll be okay. If I can make it to August, I'll be okay. And so for me, I'm, I have learned that one, I, and get back to the point of community and this idea of redemption. And I think that what I've learned is God is, I don't want to say don't use the term redemption because we already, mm-hmm. but it's as if God has invited me to experience these things. So one, he can correct my faulty behavior uh, and my beliefs, but also that I can have compassion now for people that come to me when my students or my friends or, you know, whomever come to me and said, Hey, this is what I'm experiencing. 
And then I could ask questions like we're doing now. What are you afraid of? Like your brother asked you. If your brother would have never asked you that question, I honestly don't believe our conversation would have been as impactful. Nope. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I... I think, and, and let me go back to church hurt, just real simple. Like, you know, when the language of shame and guilt and being going back into something, I think that out of the generosity and the kindness of God, you don't have to face those in front of people because God has already dealt with that in your secret place. Mm. You know, like the mere fact that I haven't been a part of a church for like four years. Um, you know, and now I'm actually like, I'll be on the phone with some and I'll be like, Oh my gosh, uh, my pastor's on, I gotta go. That is a miracle. Do you hear me? That right there is a miracle if I've never seen one, but I didn't have to experience. No one saw those shameful moments. No one saw those dark moments. Now I can go back into a community healthy, right? Right. Right. Because I had the space, like you said, to do the work, but also I had the tools to do it. If that makes sense. That's right. That's right. Yeah. One of the things that we've talked about is um, resilience, being fragile, like millennials are very fragile generation. But, you know, if, when I look back at not only my life, but you talk about your life, Tanisha, and you talk about what you've been through, like, a lot of times we're afraid of things not working out mm-hmm. and that fear drives us to, you know, be shallow, not be, you know, be judgmental of ourselves instead of curious about mm-hmm. ourselves. And we forget like, man, if, if things don't work out, ain't nothing wrong with that because like however old we are, there's, if we look at <laughs> look back, spend 10 minutes and look back over your life and ask yourself, how many things have I started that either I didn't finish or just didn't work out? It's a long list. We are, we're more resilient than we recognize because we don't take the time to actually look back and find that courage in the past because it's already there. Right. Like the, um, I mean, I, I remember reading a, a paper a while back about, you know, back in the seminary days, I think it was, this guy's talking about, um, or it was talking about Israel in the Old Testament. And one of the things that I've, one of the big takeaways I have from the Old Testament in general is that it's always, you know, the, whoever's writing is always talking about, remember what God did, you know, God, mm-hmm. God brought you out of this, God brought you out of that. Reach it. Come on. Mm-hmm. The, and one of the points, it's a very basic point is that when you go through hardship now, realize that you've been through it before mm-hmm. you, if you haven't well somebody else did and your community has therefore you can make it again mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. and this idea of being resilient is we're more resilient than we give ourselves credit for mm-hmm. i think I think that something that um, Denise was talking about being susceptible to people's expectations because of her fears and Moki, you talking about resiliency is connecting the dots for me a little bit, but it's like resiliency only works if it's directional. It's not, it's, it only works if it's moving you in the direction of your values. So if you're trying to be resilient to live up to someone else's expectations, it's not, you're not going anywhere. That's right. You know? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's like a cycle. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I think about a lot of women in that regard, um, because as I'm asking myself questions, I'm also asking questions of family, of friends, of people I witness on TV. Um, and I think that from in the black community, resilience is one of those words that we throw around like the strong black woman, like you have to be resilient. And I see that, I see how it can perpetuate this badge of honor, right? Where it's like, oh my gosh, you're so resilient. You've been oppressed for so many years and you still, you know, you're still out here getting all these degrees and you're still uh, having families or, you know, if that's what success is, right? However people define it. And so I'm thinking like, I love what you said about it being directional. Mm -hmm. If it's moving you towards your values Um, and also tying into the space to investigate yourself. Right. So, you know, I was having a conversation with someone and I said, well, I thought about my mom and, you know, she had me at 26 and, you know, she's been married and she worked and, you know, she's done all these things, part of all these organizations. And I don't know if my mom ever had time to get to this place that I'm at to really investigate who she is. Mm. Right. So sometimes I can, ex- I cannot expect my mom to investigate who I am because she hasn't taken the time to really investigate who she is. Right. Mm. So in some communities, resilience can be more of a, a curse right. than it can be, I don't say even communities, maybe generations or maybe, you know what I'm saying? Like, right, right. how do we get people yeah. to move yeah. this pseudo resilience mm-hmm. of, okay, I'm resilient because I'm strong. I'm resilient because mm-hmm. my husband will walk down on me. I'm raising mm-hmm. three kids by myself. Mm-hmm. I'm putting, right. you know, food on the table. Right. Can it's, like we a, it's, like, it's like a narrative. It's the narrative, right? Mm-hmm. But are you, are your values, right, being uh, expressed during that? Well, I guess, I mean, yeah, I guess your, your value is making sure your kids have yeah. food on the table. That's right, that's right. Yeah. But it's not a, I mean, it's not, but there's like the, I think in terms of the norms is like the, the, the strong black woman, like that's a, like that's a, like a character or a, or a type of something that, mm-hmm. that people, that's, that black women are like, it's imposed upon them. So it's not even like they are, they're not, it's not even that they're resilient. It's mm-hmm. like they're, they're, they're playing a role. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Women. It's not that yes. you, it's not that you are a strong black woman. Yes, you are the character of such. You are the mark for you know. So whenever I want to be vulnerable, or whenever I want to transition from what it looks like, then something I'm not I'm not living into that resilience. And let me correct myself because I don't want to. When I just use the example of my husband left me and I went through kids, I was not saying that that's you know, uh, predictive are describing the black community. Right. <laughs> Cause I cringe when people do that. Yeah. I'll be like, right. Don't come for us like that. Yeah. Okay. My right. parents marry. Don't do that. What I was, I was using that as an example, of uh, right. a character really of what right. yeah. was not, yeah. that's but not, 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, and, and that is part of, isn't that's part of the it's part of the, the the story that makes up that that type is that, you know, because black women are known for having their man leave so that they can raise their kids and work three jobs and whatever, like because mm-hmm. they've done that and it's a mark of the community. Therefore, mm-hmm. this is this is what they are capable of. And so uh, it becomes like this independent narrative that like is imposed on people. Yeah. So, yeah. so, and so even the, the example doesn't, isn't necessarily like a, like pointing at a particular person, but it's a, I think it's a part of the narrative that also is, uh, that we are like learning to like, uh, disentangle ourselves from, right? Yeah. Unlearning. Absolutely. Unlearning, unlearning that. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's like resilience is, 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 is simply a quality. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a character trait. It's not a, it's not a, a type of a certain character that we're supposed to live up to. Mm-hmm. It's, that's the, that's the oppressive thing. Right. The quality of like the, 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 the black woman whose uh, man left her mm-hmm. and raising her children and providing for them. She's resilient because of the actions she's taking like mm-hmm. you said, to live to her values. So she's right. resilient because she's living to her values and she's doing what it is her family. Possible, Absolutely. Right? Not, she's not resilient because she's a black woman. Right, 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 right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And you know, I heard someone say that they like the word perseverance better That's than right. resilience. That's right. Um, and I, I do like to, because I think it becomes almost like a brainwashing type of but if you, but only because people don't uh, attach value to it, like when you know Anne was saying, if it's not moving you towards your values, mm-hmm. then it's not really resilience, right? But no one's, no one is saying that, especially to black women, mm-hmm. and I think because it's they're not contributing or attribute. One of the attributes of resilience is not because you're valuing your life or because you're valuing what you're doing, you're resilient. Right. The, the narrative is you're resilient because you're strong. You're resilient right. because even though he might hit you upside the head, you still stay with him. All right. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about rap language in the sense of, you know, lyrics or, you know, you're resilient because you go out and find a job and, you know, you the independent woman, you don't need nobody to take care of you. Mm-hmm. Um, that type of narrative, I think, is dangerous as opposed to saying, hey, Denicia, you are resilient because you value integrity. And when you made that decision to not do something but to do this, right. you push towards your values and your goals. That's right. right? We, all, we all need a therapy. Yeah, I'm, I have three on deck that, that I'm because, this week. No, but I think because even I th- um, for me, I, I didn't. Uh, I I got into therapy when I was twenty, about uh, twenty six, right? And when this, you know, homeboys talking about like values and this and that, I'm like, man, what you talking about? Like, like life is just hard. Mm-hmm. And the idea of of living like my therapist now puts it this way: uh, speaking to your values through your actions mm-hmm. is. That's again language that we don't have or we're not taught. Yeah. Speaking specifically about the black community, because let's talk about it. I mean, the whole mm-hmm. mental health and therapy thing for black people is like a 
you know, th- there's a stigma around that. Absolutely. So, so in, in, in this community that we find ourselves in, mm-hmm. we, we, we would be very, we would be helped tremendously by learning how to articulate what makes us strong. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and part of that goes back to, you know, ask yourself the question, what are you about? We got to find ways to be able to at least investigate curiously and not judgmentally. What are you actually about? Mm-hmm. What makes you strong and what makes you afraid? You got to figure those two things out. Mm-hmm. 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 That's That's really, yeah. There's, um, that might be as good a place to end as any, but... <laughs> pause but the last word. yeah 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 I listened to this really phenomenal interview yesterday with Rabbi Jonathan Sachs who's like kind of a he's pretty famous I guess I'm not familiar with this world but pretty famous like Jewish theologian hmm. and um he was talking about how Jewish theology comes down to basically how how does the image of God flourish in, uh. in the now like um he said you know if you he says if you read the hebrew bible you'll find uh it's it's about a people who very rarely talk about the afterlife like they're they're obsessed with the now right and um human, human flourishing and joy like that's that's their pursuit because that is the best way to project the image of god in that's, the world. Right. that's right and to me that's that's like there's a difference between survival and resiliency survival is commendable like i don't want to minimize it you know right. but like mm-hmm. resiliency is about how do i how do i create a life how am i am i moving towards a life where i'm able to be joyful and flourish mm-hmm. 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 yeah mm-hmm. and yeah, it's, yeah again survival takes incredible strength but resiliency is like, it's like one step beyond that. You know, you have to, you have to survive in order to be resilient, but it's a little bit beyond that. And I think a lot of us, our fear too, our fear is like, what if I can't do anything more than survive? Yeah. 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 Nah, but that's where you need the, that's where you need other people. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, Which is the other thing he said is you can't discover, you can't discover your, the, the piece, the image of God in you outside of community. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Right. Yep. Yeah. And images, right? Like if, like, for example, cutting my hair, I've been wanting to cut my hair for years. Really? Um, absolutely. And I, I did cut it before I came to seminary, but I grew it back out. Um, so I wanted to cut it again in 2000, I think in 15, I kept talking about it, but I was just so afraid to do that mm-hmm. for several reasons. Um, but then I started seeing women with short hair and how beautiful they were and how feminine they they were. And I remember on, um, I think it was what, May something at 1.16 in the morning, I just said, I want to cut my hair. But the only thing I heard was my mom is going to kill me. So now when I hear that little voice that my mom is going to kill me, I'll do it because I know I'm fighting against expectations. Hmm. And I know that in in terms of like surviving and thriving and what does like um, the image of God looks like. And even to your question, you asked, you said to your dad, Loki, like 
you know, uh, if we're not in the image of God, why do we all look so different? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, 60-year-old me. You know, I knew I was right. <laughs> on, right? I knew I was something. Exactly. But yeah, it's, it's really seeing... I had to see that images of black women with short hair and even white, all women with short hair was beautiful. And is if we take it back to the image of God, I mean, you know, we, we were saying that we had a white Jesus at one time, even though he was Palestinian Jew, you know? So what does the image of God looks like when it flourish? And to me, it's not having a lot of, it's not having a big house, even though I've been in them. My own one. Um, It's not having, uh, you know, a perfect family. You know, I don't come from one. (laughs) So, you know, the image of God to me looks like Christ. Yeah. And that's goodness. That's kindness. That's mercy. There's healing, you know, um, there's wholeness. Yeah. And whatever area of my life. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Look, I said it three, four weeks ago. Um, the courage to include mm. is greater than the fear that excludes. Love it. And so this mm. idea of what this image, what the image of God of flourishing of joy, this is the kind of, that takes a lot of work. It takes perseverance. It takes uh, resiliency. <laughs> and uh, because what's natural is to, is to say no. I don't want that run away. Right. That's the natural survivalist instinct, but the fear, the, the, the courage to say, to be curious, what is this about? What would happen if I wonder if, let me try, why don't you come in and help me? That, that takes courage. And, uh, that's a, that's a great, a great way forward to, because again, millennials, you know, we, we have iPhones, but we also had VCRs. So we, we've been on, we've been on both sides of the track trying to figure everything out. And and I think having courage rather than fear when we're figuring things out is, is a better, healthier, uh, more wholesome way forward. Amen. Well, daggone, Denicia, you got me over here preaching. Doing all sorts I mean, of both of y'all coming through with the word. <laughs> Man, uh, we quoting a rabbi. You guys should listen to it. It's, it's, I'll send it to you. It's like it's a good interview. Send it. Yeah. Send um, it. Mm-hmm. Also, good luck editing this, monkey. <laughs> I'm oh, looking man. at the clock. <laughs> well, look, I tell you, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, qu- I'm quarantining for the next 10 days, so I'm going to have. A lot of time on my hands. Mm-hmm. No. But it's been real. Yes. Thank you. And as always real. Thank you, everybody, for hanging out with us. This is the Growing Pains Podcast. I'm your host, Moki Sal. Host Moki Sal, joined by the illustrious Ever Mo Rilla. Don't get no real than her, Ann Harrington, and our very, very, very special friends, Nisia Riley. Thank you so much, everybody. We out. Bye.